tracking the rise and fall of human systems. Light radiates in a pattern of expanding waves. Is there life elsewhere? How does it affect us? These are big questions. Yet the meaning of all this to us is far from ordinary. You're listening to Transistor, a science series from PRX. I'm Genevieve Sponsler. If you're familiar with Transistor's previous episodes, you know that we have three fantastic scientist hosts. Well, I'm not a scientist host, but I am on the Transistor team here at PRX, where we are a science story-making machine. This story, from Marnie Chesterton, is all about the science of sound and how it is much more colorful than we think. Yes, I said colorful. Red and yellow and pink and green, orange and purple and blue. I can sing a rainbow, sing a rainbow, sing a rainbow too. That's my colourfully named young friend Indigo singing a rainbow. Cute, but not scientifically accurate. There's almost a rainbow of colours of noise, and I'll try and get Indigo to sing it later. Before then, let's have a look at what's out there. You'll probably be aware of white noise. It's what we call the static hiss on a television. But there's also red noise and blue noise, pink noise and violet noise. What are they, and what are they for? Meet Shelley. In her case, they're a lifesaver. I had a 16-month-old son at the time, and I just put him down for a nap. And I went downstairs and I put my feet up. And I suddenly became aware of a really high pitch, ringing, kind of squealing sound, which at first I thought was coming from somewhere in my house. So um, I got up and didn't think too much of it, walked around looking at the TV, boiler, all of these kinds of things. But I couldn't figure out, I couldn't pinpoint where it was coming from. And uh, my husband came home not long afterwards and I said, oh, can you tell me where that noise is coming from? It's just driving me spare. And uh, he said, what noise? I can't, I can't hear any noise. From that moment, I started to panic almost instantly. Yeah, it, was, it was just dreadful. It took her six months to get a diagnosis of tinnitus. During that time, Shelley started experimenting with sonic coping strategies. I started a course of sound therapy. A lady showed me a device that allowed me to listen to different sounds. So, for instance, it could be white noise, which is quite a gentle noise, and pink noise, which is similar to white noise, but it's got a slightly deeper tone to it. Um, The sound of rain, the sound of uh, thunderstorms, the ocean, uh, any of these kinds of things. And I actually found through my own experiments, that standing in front of the fridge when it was humming or flushing the toilet over and over again actually was neutralising the sound of the tinnitus. I remember nights getting out of my bed, laying in the foetal position, rocking backwards and forwards, crying all day, every day, forcing myself into work. I was a complete nervous wreck before I found sound therapy. I didn't think of taking my life because I've got a husband and a son to think about but I could understand why people could end it because it's very hard to imagine how you could live like that. Dr Derek Hoare is a senior research fellow at Nottingham Hearing Biomedical Research Unit in the UK and he explained what's going on with Shelley's hearing. But first a 101 on how our hearing works. So the hearing system is beautifully complex but at the same time reasonably simple. Um, We have nerve cells in the ear called hair cells. When sound vibrations hit our ears, those hair cells move and that essentially triggers a chain of electrical activity along the hearing pathway up to the hearing brain. 
in the hearing brain, we have centres that process those sounds and that information is fed to our higher brain into our consciousness. With tinnitus, we lose hair cells and these cells in the ear, they don't regenerate. Once they're gone, essentially they're gone. So what you end up with is a large area of the hearing brain that's spontaneously active and that is actually interpreted by the brain as hearing a sound. So when your brain can't hear certain frequencies, it makes them up. It sounds odd that the consequence of hearing loss for about 10% of the population is that they hear more noise. So the solution, to fight it with yet more noise, doesn't seem that unreasonable. It goes back a long, long way. Titus Flavius, uh, one of the Roman emperors, he was actually said to be cursed by the gods with tinnitus. He noticed one day, walking past a blacksmith, that the sound of the hammer hitting the anvil actually masked his tinnitus really well. So he actually hired a blacksmith to come and work alongside him. And pink, white and violet noise used by tinnitus sufferers today are the modern equivalent. But who labelled pink pink, not green or orange? In Salford, in the north of England, professor of acoustics and author of Sonic Wonderland, Trevor Cox, explains why these noises have a colour at all. I guess the correspondence comes about because you're changing the balance of the colours in the same way as if I mix every colour evenly of the rainbow, I'll get white out. So if I mix every sound together of the audible spectrum from 20 hertz to 20,000 hertz, I get white noise out. But if I decide to mix some more low frequencies, now in light that would be mixing in more red, then I'd get a nice sort of reddy, pinky sort of tinge to it. In the same way as I mix more low frequency sound, so more bassy sound, then I would get something that people would call pink noise. It's about the analogies between the frequencies of light and the, and the frequencies of sound and the balance between them. So blue noise has a lot more high frequencies in it and blue colours have a lot more high frequencies in them. I'm on a quest to find black noise, supposedly silence, although the prof points out that noise, by definition, can't be silence. (laughs) He and I end up in a very odd room. Can you describe where we are? Well, we've just walked into an anechoic chamber and what's all around you on the ceiling and the walls and on the floor are these grey foam wedges. Uh, They look quite odd. And when I'm talking, it sounds like my ears need to pop. It all sounds very muffled. And that's because any sound going to the walls, floor, the ceiling are just absorbed. We don't hear any reflections. So this room acoustically doesn't exist. So if we use the apparently unscientific definition of black as an absence of noise, then that could be what you hear in here. Well, of course, the funny thing about an anechoic chamber is you don't hear nothing. And that's what surprises people, because you yourself make noise. So often people describe a hissing sound and a a more low-frequency sound, and that's thought to be the nervous system and the blood moving in your head. So black noise isn't silent, it's internal sounds, probably. Hiatus, or to use his real name, Cyrus Shahad, is an electronic musician and producer. He's also a brown noise obsessive. I remember being a kid and um, waking up an hour or so every morning before I had to wake up for school and crawling downstairs and lying in front of a fan heater. wasn't really sure why I was doing it. It was almost just this subconscious craving for what I thought was maybe the heat of the fan, but actually, looking back, I think it was the noise. Cyrus's love for the soothing rumble of brown noise feeds into his work. Well, I've certainly noticed that over the course of the years that I've been making music, I have, at times, found myself layering noise underneath what would be otherwise kind of ostensibly quite sparse piano tracks there's something acoustically 
almost painful when it comes to listening to certain frequencies, the high frequencies particularly. I guess kind of at the back of my mind, I've always thought that there is a constant kind of sound to life. There's something that makes us feel more like we're kind of cradled by the planet we're on rather than just sort of bowling through this silent space. And brown noise, I think there's definitely an element of that with it. It just makes me feel a bit more reassured that life goes on around me. And on that philosophical note, it's time to take the meandering over the rainbow and back to Indigo, who will try and recreate a sonically accurate rainbow of noise. Take it away, Indigo. Red and brown and pink and white, purple and blue. Not as pretty as the visual version, but still fun to try. Thanks to Indigo, I'm Marnie Chesterton. I have been your sonic guide. Marnie is an independent producer based in London, and she did this story for the PRX STEM Story Project. You can explore your own interactive rainbow of noise at transistor.prx.org, where you'll also find a Q&A with Marnie about how she got interested in the science of sound. Check out our other Transistor episodes on everything from alien life to microbes in poop. Yes, I said poop and aliens, but not together. Hey, scientists, we know you're out there working hard, collecting data, and making science happen. We want to see you and your colleagues in action. Tweet at Transistor Show with the hashtag ShowUsYourLab. We realize we may get some cute dog photos too, which is A-OK. The Transistor team includes me, PRX Chief Content Officer John Barth, and Lily Bowie. A Rainbow of Noise was produced by Marnie Chesterton and mixed for Transistor by Erica Lance. Transistor is supported by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, enhancing public understanding of science, technology, and economic performance. More at sloan.org. This is PRX. PRX.